I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians 3, verse 15. It's on page 981 in the Bible in front of you. I grew up in a mega church and um, before smartphones, and so the sound of like thousands of Bibles being opened um, throughout the congregation was just one of my favorite sounds, so I miss that. Okay, let's read together. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lonely bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Hey, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. How excited are you to see a pregnant woman up here? Because <laughs> you know it's going to be a very short sermon, because I'm going to need a nap in like 20 minutes. <laughs> also, if I sound out of breath, it's just my lungs are very squished, so it's the joys. Um, speaking of, the last time I was up here, I shared my very riveting confession on how difficult pregnancy is for me and how it's worth it in the end or something like that. Yeah, that was in December. My due date's in August. So the Lord sure does have a sense of humor. Um, so needless to say, I chose the stories I share here today with the utmost trembling and humility. If we haven't met yet, my name is Lynette, and my family, currently full of boys, which will change very soon, um, have been attending Vancouver Vineyard for over um, six years now. We'll need an updated photo, Wes, pretty soon. Did you guys know that Wes is a phenomenal family photographer? And I'm not just saying that because he's South African. Um, okay, so we're gonna get right to it, but first, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time, for this community, for this sacred and full of depth and wisdom scripture. Lord, you know the challenges we all face. You know our every doubt and our worry this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have so graciously covered us with your love and your mercy. Quiet our hearts now to hear from you. Let the joy of the Lord energize me today. And may we feel the tangible joy of the Lord together. We want to delight in you, Lord. Holy Spirit, this message came together like the two of us walking through a meadow, picking wildflowers here and there all over the last couple of weeks. So I offer this bouquet back to you, Lord. Use it. Let the words from my heart, from your heart, speak to your beloved. And let every other word simply fade away. Come, Holy Spirit. We eagerly desire your presence and guidance. Amen. Oh, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Speaking of mature Christians, Pastor Steve spoke of the such things that our text refers to here last week, um, so definitely go back and listen to that if you've missed it. Um, well, what can I say? If you don't agree with Paul and Pastor Steve, the Lord make that clear to you. <laughs> the such things, as Pastor Steve talked about, is resting in our belovedness. I love how he put it last week. We are the beloved and we are becoming the beloved. He spoke of how there is this temptation for us to either fall into the self-loathing or into, into walking around with this like sense of self-righteousness. Um, and as someone who identifies as an Enneagram 4, <laughs> it's very easy for me to fall into the self-loathing spiral um, that there's something fundamentally lacking with me. And this infused with religion can really cause a toxic little storm in my soul. <laughs> and it sure did rear its ugly head as I was preparing for today's message. All of us who are mature, <laughs> you think you're mature? So I'd have to stop, pray. <sighs> I am his beloved and he will speak his truth. I just refuse to keep working on this sermon if I wasn't completely centered in that truth. Paul continues, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together, following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live like we do. What do you think they have already attained? I'm not sure, but when I reflect on what I have already attained, I realize that I have been given such an undeserved gift of unfathomable, unconditional love. I grew up in a charismatic, as I mentioned, mega church earlier, prosperity, gospel, leaning, name it, claim it, you get the vibe. Um, so there's been lots of things over the years that I have had to uh, revisit. Uh, things that I thought were the gospel truth that now is a little more murky, sureties that I had that I now in my older age is replaced with mystery. That might also just be what growing up feels like. But what have I already attained when I've had to change and repent and grow and throw it all out and then go pick up some pieces on my faith journey? And that is that I am the beloved. And when nothing feels sure, I rely on the grace of God to lead me back there. Beyond that, Paul maybe also expects them to live up to the truth that they have already attained together, possibly as a way to avoid the, pit, the pitfalls of destruction and shame. Ray Frank Robbins interprets it like this. If they were to make progress, they would need to live up, their best not, live up to their best knowledge of the Christian life's ideals and requirements. While they waited for fuller revelations from God, they were to make their present attainments the rule of their conduct. Believers who were to walk in the truth they had received, they were to live to the highest truth that they had been able to grasp, and they were not to fall back from the point of which they had attained. The Philippians Christians were not to cease their striving to advance. It is noticeable to me that Paul is also leading by example here in calling out the belovedness in his faith community showing them great love and care, encouraging them in joy, building them up, and weeping over, over them with compassion. So, not sure how to follow Paul's example? 
The Philippians would have had many examples, but here in this very letter is one. So step one, following Paul's examples. Start by finding a community that you love and loves you. And spoiler, Vancouver Vineyard loves you. We love you. And get to work encouraging. The importance of community is throughout scripture. We are not meant to do this alone. Holding on to what we've attained, pressing forward, we need each other. I love these reflections on community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, in Christian community, everything depends on but whether each individual is an indispensable link in the chain. And this one by writer co-author Riley, who says, there is comfort in being welcomed, but there is dignity in knowing that your arrival just shifted the group to deeper wholeness. To bear the image of God in its fullness, we need each other. Or think of it this way, we're all part of one big potluck. And it's not just that you're invited to come and you're welcome to come, you are needed to complete the feast. Can you imagine if the girl who wrote, who's supposed to bring the guac and chips doesn't show up? Or the guy who makes the awesome smoked ribs decides to stay home? The horror, the terrible potluck. This is a very terrible picture I, I like realized because there's like someone bringing a lot of vegetables, so. But you get the idea. It was too late to change. Also now I'm hungry. Okay, so let's live up to that. Let's be examples even to each other. As a mom who has chosen to home educate my children, it would be an understatement to say that my words alone sometimes fail to excite my kids to want to learn and grasp the power of knowledge. But I've learned from some homeschool veterans the power of example. I can invite them in without saying a word. For example, I never declare, all right, children, we are going to now sit down and do art. No, I simply gather all the things, put on some classical music or an awesome movie soundtrack, and then get lost myself in whatever art project it is I want them to be exposed to. And then without fail, there's two boys by my side, some epic creations, big mess to clean up, always works. I'm yet to make math this magical, but we're working on it. Verse 18 goes on to say, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. I love how the message puts it. They want easy street, but easy street is dead end street. It's pretty depressing, right? Why would Paul address this group? Is he simply talking about people in the culture, in, this, in um, the culture of the day in a city like Philippi, where the Roman way of life and empire-worshipping hedonistic culture was the norm? Warning, perhaps, not to give in to the temptations around them, and we can certainly still apply this advice in today's live your best life, you only live once culture. Or do you think Paul was talking about his most dearest friends? perhaps, who have perhaps taken their personal freedoms too far, warning them in loving wisdom that they are made for more. Their destiny should be wholeness. What his deepest desire for them is wholeness. I think 
the scripture can hold both interpretations. The use of emotion here is not just for dramatic effect. When Paul says he has tears for them, we all know the love and care that we feel for a friend or a family member who is choosing a different path. It utterly breaks our heart. To help get his message across, Paul uses this clever literary technique of contrasting his images and his words. And I see these contrasts in keep hold of what you've attained, but keep going if not yet arrived. Uh, a mature Christian, secure in his or her belovedness, contrasted with those who live as enemies of the cross. The destiny of destruction, contrasted with an eternal destiny. Glory and shame, contrasted with glory in Christ. And I take the freedom here to, to say the comfort and pride in Roman citizenship, contrasted with heavenly citizenship. Now, Roman citizenship was no small thing at this time, as illustrated when we read about Paul and Silas in Philippi about a decade prior. I'll give us a quick recap of how things went down. So, in chapter 16, Paul and Silas go to Philippi. They meet with Lydia, and they establish the first Christian community there. While they're there, they cast out this annoying demon and an enslaved girl that was making a lot of money for her enslavers by telling the future. Furious, the owners accuse Paul and Silas of not ending their sweet side money-making gig, but for like ruining the Roman way. So they get beaten, thrown into chains. Long story short, but there's an earthquake, a whole household coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, and the officials changing their minds and wanting to quietly release them and get them out of the way. But Acts goes on to say, Paul wouldn't budge. He told the officers, they beat us in public and threw us in jail, Roman citizens in good standing? Now they want to get us out of the way and the sly without anyone knowing? Nuh-uh. If they, where am I, sorry. <laughs> if they want us out of here, let them come themselves and lead us out in broad daylight. When the officers reported that, the, um, that they were Roman citizens, the judges panicked. They had no idea. They hurried over and apologized, personally escorted them from the jail, and then asked them if they wouldn't please leave the city. Walking out of jail, Paul and Silas went straight to Lydia's house, saw their friends again, probably had an awesome potluck, encouraged them in the faith, and only then went on their way. Man, if that isn't a hardcore example to follow. Still, Roman citizenship and all its benefits of the day is an earthly, temporary thing. Nothing to put your hope in. Useless in the light of eternity. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lonely bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. As you will notice, I will be milking the citizenship aspect of these verses for everything that it's worth. But let me first say, this part of the text really intimidated me for months. It carries so much depth theologically that I could be up here for hours quoting commentaries and respected theologians throughout the ages. Um, don't worry, I won't because I need a nap. Um, but as I reflected and prayed through this message, the word wholeness kept coming up. 
we eagerly await our Savior Jesus to make all things whole, transforming all brokenness. A hope that we sojourners in this very temporary life can hold on to for the now and the not yet. Setting our minds and hearts on things eternal. And once we grasp that, how can we afford to waste time on things um, that only hope to satisfy temporarily? C.S. Lewis says this about setting our hearts and minds on heaven. Most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not yet been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they, what they want and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offers to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Or put slightly differently in this underrated Stacey Arago 2003 one-hit wonder, there's gotta be more to life than chasing down that every temporary high to satisfy me, because the more that I'm tripping, I'm thinking, there must be more than life, well, it's life, but I'm sure there's gotta be more than wanting more. And yes, don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good is a bumper sticker 90s Christian saying that makes me cringe, but we can be both. Being so deeply held in the eternal hope that we are compelled to be of some earthly good. We are compelled towards wholeness, towards the fullness of God's love made visible, seeking justice for the vulnerable, and the true shalom of God to flow down like a river through a dry and broken world. Still, we are foreigners here. I've lived in three different, um, on three different continents, two different hemispheres. I've been a tourist in about 16 different countries, so I have some experience in being a foreigner. So here's my theological take on travel. It's a temporary visit. You need a good guidebook. It's more fun with people you love to share the adventures with. There will inevitably be something that goes wrong, but somehow that makes the experience more interesting. You will be challenged with the different customs and cultural norms, and you'll hopefully get to the end feeling like it was all worth it. So, there you go, travel is a spiritual practice. We are just visiting here. We're not supposed to feel comfortable and conform because we have eternity set in our hearts. We are homesick for more. Like the scripture says, he has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to end. Did you know, in order to become a, a US citizen, other than being born here, of course, you have to kind of jump through a couple of hoops. There are actually not as many pathways to citizenships as you might think. My pathway to citizenship was through falling in love with a very handsome American guy I met in Vietnam who wanted to spend the rest of his life with me. But still, 
I needed to be married at least three years, have no criminal background, um, apply for citizenship, which costs hundreds of dollars, um, submit lots of paperwork, go to an interview, and pass a citizen citizenship test in English. Then, attend a ceremony, which I attended during the deep pandemic days, so it wasn't very exciting, but um, take an oath, do the pledge, and ta-da, I'm a proud American. <laughs> USA. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't make us jump through these hoops? It's not easy, but it is very simple. And I think our scripture today gives us some great guiding wisdom on our faith journey. So let's recap, along with some homework reflection questions for you this week. So number one, securely placing our identities in the pure gift of being his most beloved, we are to hold onto and live up to the truth we have already attained. I invite you this week to reflect on what have you already attained? We are to do this together because we can't do it alone, nor are we expected to go at this alone. Remember, we all have something to bring to the potluck table. Again, in reflection this week, do you realize how valuable and needed you are here? I hope you do. We are to look and learn from those who are good examples. We have wonderful examples in Jesus, of course, and throughout the Bible, throughout history, in this church, in each other. So my question is, who has been a good example to you lately? And what can you do this week to join them or imitate them um, in their good works? One way to follow Paul's example is to encourage each other in love um, in the way that he did this in the letters to the Philippians. And I'll say, like, if you want a good example of that, attend pre-service prayer. That was so, just exactly what I was talking about, just the encouragement of each other. Who can you encourage this week? We are to live in contrast to the enemies of the cross whose minds are set on earthly things, turning away from things that lead to destruction, asking God this week, I hope that he engages your imagination towards wholeness and what that would look like for you. What would wholeness look like for us as a community? Remembering how temporary this short life is, like Colossians 3 verse 2 says, yes, feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. We are to live as foreigners here because our true identity lies in our heavenly citizenship, our eager hope and expectation in Jesus making all things new and whole. This week is VBS, and as a volunteer, I know the memory verse our kids are going to be working on, so we're going to know it too. Um, and I'll end with this verse as an encouragement to us all. So Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey of faith. And he is the one who completes this journey of faith. Amen. <laughs>